What's going on? Welcome to a new episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. This is the episode that we did promise to you a month or so ago where we collected all of your true or false statements and uh, we're bringing them in together to make one podcast. That's only uh, We're going only where you lead us with your statements that you've sent in by email, sent in by Twitter and uh, posted on the website. And we thank you so much for all of that. This is the perfect time to do this type of um, episode because... Spring football has concluded. The NFL draft has concluded. Uh, we're in that kind of that awkward phase between spring ball wrapping up the semester and then the start of summer workouts. The transfer portal is is active and popping for Oklahoma football. It's also active and popping for Oklahoma basketball, but really more in a negative way than it is in a positive way. And then you got softball heading into the postseason. Sooners getting upset in Oklahoma City at the Big 12 tournament losing in the championship game to Oklahoma State. And so, uh, listen, if you enjoyed this episode, we want to do more like this. You can always hit us up on Twitter with your true or false statements slash questions. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. That's at Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can also hit us up by email, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. Or you can find us just about every day, uh, on the interwebs, heartland-sports.com. Each podcast episode has its own designated uh, post page where you can drop a, a line in there as well. So um, we're pretty excited to get this started. And, you know, I think appropriately we're going to start with softball. Um, got two true or false questions that come in uh, on the softball front. This first one's from Ashton. And Ashton just says this, true or false, Oklahoma's chances to win the, the excuse me, I'll start over. True or false, Oklahoma's chances to repeat and win another college softball championship are greatly diminished in the absence of Jordy Ball. And um, I mean, that, that's a good one to start off with because you saw Oklahoma go down to Oklahoma State and, and pitching was an issue. I mean, when you go extra innings and you walk in the game winning run uh, on a bases loaded walk, that means you got a little bit of, a, of an issue pitching. Now, that said, I do think you have to admit this is a different team absent Jordy Ball. Uh, Nicole May is good. Hope Trotwan statistically is the best pitcher in the nation, but you lose that fire, you lose that flamethrower, you lose that. Like Jordy Ball intimidates people. She's a freshman that goes in that in in that circle and she stares down the batter and and she wins a lot of those battles. I mean, she's nasty. She's got nasty stuff uh, that she throws across the plate. But she wins a lot of those battles just because of the mental dominance that she has over whoever the batter is. And and there, there's not a replacement to that. You, you, Nicole May cannot duplicate that. Hope Trotwan cannot duplicate that. And and what we're learning is that Oklahoma State, at least has those two girls figured out. Oklahoma State has Nicole May figured out. They've got Hope Trotwan figured out. Uh, but a lot of other people don't. And what there is a chance. I mean, Oklahoma State's pretty good. And, and before you jump off that cliff about how overrated Oklahoma is, um, don't forget that this is a team that played 50 games and they lost two. They won 48 out of 50 games. So this is a, a really good team. They're going to be the number one seed 
in the NCAA tournament. I know they lost. I know Oklahoma State won. And and honestly, Oklahoma State needed that a lot more than Oklahoma did because I think regardless of what happened, as soon as Oklahoma, you know, shut out Iowa State on Friday to advance to the championship game, they locked up the number one overall seed in this NCAA tournament, in my opinion. Now, we'll see what happens on Selection Sunday in less than 24 hours from the recording of this podcast. But Oklahoma State was already in line to host a regional. Now, by winning the Big 12 championship, they probably solidified themselves if they advanced through the regional phase of the NCAA tournament to host a super regional. So the state of Oklahoma most likely is going to have two super regionals, one in Norman, one in Stillwater. That was a huge, huge game for Oklahoma State. They needed it a lot more than Oklahoma did. Um... And I, I think maybe we're rushing the Jordy ball. We, we do this as a fan base. It doesn't matter if you're an Oklahoma fan. It doesn't matter if you're an Oklahoma State fan, a Texas fan, a Kansas fan, whoever you are. You have a player who sits out and you begin automatically to think the worst. Oh, my gosh. If we don't have this person on our team, then our team cannot accomplish these stated goals, which I don't believe to be the case here. Patty Gasso said on Sunday afternoon she expects to see Jordy Ball in in the postseason. And, and don't forget, there is a model for this, okay? We saw this last year. Giselle Juarez, who was the most dominant pitcher in the College World Series, didn't even pitch in the regional. Do you remember that? They went to the regional with Shannon Sale, and they went to the regional with Nicole May. So G. Juarez didn't really become a factor for Oklahoma early in the tournament. And and I, I think maybe Patty Gasso has seen that work last year, sees fruit in that, and, and that's the way she's leaning. Don't don't push the panic button yet on Jordy Ball. I think I'm gonna say false on this, Ashton. And the reason why I'm gonna say false is because you said significantly decreases. I, I will give you that this team is not the same absent Jordy Ball. But this is still a really, really, really good team. Offensively, defensively. And, and Oklahoma State, top 10 team. Okay, guys? They, they didn't lose to an unranked team. This was not a major upset. This was a top eight battle for the Big 12 championship. I think you got to give Oklahoma State some credit, but I think you also got to understand that this Oklahoma team, maybe this is what they needed to fire them up. Maybe this is the motivation they needed uh, going to to refocus and 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 I, you know hitting was an issue in the entire Big Twelve tournament. And I say the entire like they played a lot. They played two games, but hitting became an issue. And I think if I'm an Oklahoma fan, which I am. I'm a little more concerned about how silent the bats became against Iowa State after that second inning. How silent the bats became against Oklahoma State late in the game. I think that bothers me a little bit more than what may or may not be going on with Jordy Ball. I think the the I mean think about this, top of the 7th inning in the Big 12 Championship, Riley Boone's your leadoff and she's number 9 in the order. Riley Boone gets on with a bunt, and they can't advance her. There's no outs. You've got the fastest player on your team on first base, and you're back to the top of the order, and they can't advance Riley Boone. 
if if you take that scenario away, you advance Riley Boone and you win that game like a team of Oklahoma's caliber should have done, regardless of the competition. When we talk about how stacked this lineup is, particularly the top of the order, this game should have never gone extras. And if it doesn't, if, if it doesn't go extras, then we're not sitting here talking about pitching. So I think there's more things than just what's happening in the circle that Oklahoma is going to regroup re, uh, and get ready to go again this weekend with the regional. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Ashton. Uh, we're going to say false on that just because you said significantly. I, I do think it decreases, uh, as we saw here uh, in the Big 12 tournament, but I don't think it significantly decreases Oklahoma's chances to repeat and win another national championship. All right, this comes from uh, this comes from Tanner. Uh, we're going to stick with softball. has nothing to do with Oklahoma softball, but we're going to go south of the border. And, um, and we're going to talk about Texas softball. Tanner says, true or false, Mike White's antics in Oklahoma City put him on the hot seat uh, in Austin. And I'm going to say false again, Tanner, and here's the reason why. Uh, the reason why this is false is because Mike White was already on the hot seat. And if anything happened in Oklahoma City to endanger Mike White's tenure as the head softball coach at the University of Texas, it's probably what Oklahoma State did more than Mike White giving the Big 12 officials uh, the international sign for your number one. And let's be honest, okay, let's be honest here. How many of us, you go back through football, basketball, uh, softball, baseball season, how many of us have wanted to do to Big 12 officials what Mike White actually did along the third baseline? Now, I'm not condoning that, uh, particularly coming from uh, a guy who represents one of the institutions, one of the flagship institutions of this con uh, conference, nonetheless. Uh, Mike White was uh, was definitely outclassed by the Big 12 officials on on Friday. But that's not what's going to make Chris Del Conte sit down and have a serious heart-to-heart -heart conversation with him. What what what's happening in Stillwater is what's going to put the pressure on Mike White. If you, I know there are people who haven't been following college softball for a long time, and those of you that are new. Uh, to this college softball thing. Welcome aboard. It is a wild ride. College softball has risen to be one of my favorite sports right behind football. But Mike White was the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, and he guided that program to the Women's College World Series multiple times. Texas went after Mike White, paid him an absorbent amount of money so he could come in and bring the Texas program to the level of Oklahoma. What, what Texas wanted Mike White to do was challenge Oklahoma for the top spot, the top program in this conference. And that's not happened. In fact, since Mike White arrived in Austin, what's happened with Oklahoma State is really what Texas wanted to see happen. Oklahoma State came close last year. Remember the Cal Cowgirls beat OU in Norman, or in Stillwater, to take one game out of the Bedlam series. And then this year, they, they got swept in Norman, but then they just won the Big 12 championship. That's what Texas wants. That's what Texas needs. That's what Texas is paying a lot of money to see happen. And it hasn't happened in Austin yet. And so I think that puts Mike White on the hot seat more than anything else. Was it a bad look for Texas? Absolutely, it was a bad look for Texas. But does that is that what gets Mike White fired? No. What's going to get Mike White fired is his inability to 
elevate that program above what Oklahoma State has done. Oklahoma State has done exactly what Texas hired Mike White to do. And there's the problem for the Longhorns. All right, let's move on to basketball for our next uh, true or false question because I, I've got two questions that come from opposite directions and really um, hit both ends of the spectrum here. And I think I think I could do one of those kill two birds with one stone type situations. Uh, and so let me throw this out there. Uh, Ryan on Twitter says, true or false, men's basketball won't make the NCAA tournament for the next two years. So that's what Ryan's saying. And then Caleb sends a message that says, true or false, Oklahoma men's basketball will be a top three team in the Big 12. And I'm assuming he means next uh, next season, 2022-2023 season. And I think we can hit both of those and say false. Can we say false for both of those? Um, I, I would be shocked. Honestly, Ryan, I would be shocked if Oklahoma goes on a two-year drought of not making the NCAA tournament. And what, and what you're saying here, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is that Oklahoma, who didn't make the tournament this last season, won't make it for the next two seasons, which means it'll be a three-year tournament drought for this program under Porter Mosier. If that's the case, if Oklahoma goes to the first three years of the Porter Mosier era without reaching the NCAA tournament, then that'll be it for Porter Mosier. He, he will not last beyond that stretch. I'm not buying into that, nor am I buying into this idea that everything's peachy keen, that some of the players who are currently on the team are trying to sell us. And so I don't believe Oklahoma is a top three team in the Big 12 next uh, next fall and, and spring and win- or winter and spring either. I do believe they're a top five. I think they can be a top five in the Big 12. But the reality is that the transfer portal is going to be the telltale sign of that. And there there are some questionable moves in the transfer portal. Oklahoma's got two players that came in. You got a, a shooting guard and a power forward. Um I, I, you know how I am with names. If you listen to this podcast, I'm the guy who butchers everybody's name. Uh, but Bamisil, Joe Bamisil, I think is why I'm going to go with this for right now. A four-star guy in the transfer portal, uh, transferring in uh, from George Washington and Sam Goodwin. Thank you, Sam, for having a, a easy name. Sam Goodwin coming in to Oklahoma uh, from Wofford, uh, a power forward. Though, now, that's who Oklahoma got. But I think when you look at um, I, I think when you look at the guys that left, these are the guys that Oklahoma was really banking on to spark this team to improve next season. Now you lost uh, AK. I, I, I'll call him. Uh, I'll call him Maywin, uh, and that's okay. I mean, look, he, he was a project guy, power forward, uh, followed an assistant coach out to Sacramento State. Well, he's going to get more time there. But Rick Estanza, uh, Rick, I say Estanza, Estanza, uh, he's gone as well. Again, a, more of a uh, more of a, a project guy, Loyola Marymount, is where he's ending up. But there are three pillars, guys. I mean, there are three pillars to this team that are gone. And, when I, and I'm going to throw Austin Mason in as one of those pillars. And the reason why I'm throwing Austin Mason in there is is because he was he was Porter Mosier's first guy. 
he was that guy that the Porter Moser said, you know, went out and got, he committed to this team. Um, and then he lasted one season. He's got immediate eligibility. He's tra- and he's transferring. Here's the head scratcher. He's transferring to Missouri State. A Kansas City product, not not going north uh, to to uh, to Kansas or to Kansas State, not going up to Nebraska, not going to Iowa State, where a lot of Kansas City products go. He's going northeast to Springfield, Missouri, to play for Missouri State, and that I mean that that just really I I, I don't know how I feel about that, um, but I'm shocked. Because he 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 was a point guard, three star guy coming out of high school. Didn't have the patience to wait his turn. Saw limited action this last season. But I mean, Porter Mosier, I think, had plans for him. And when you consider the fact that the other two guys, Elijah Harkless and Mo Gibson, are are in this portal as well, I, I think there was a wide open opportunity for Austin Mason. Wide open. For him to make a giant step from freshman to sophomore year. But it's Elijah Harkless and Mo Gibson that really kind of ring the bell the loudest. Elijah Harkless is is going out to uh, play for Long Kruger's son at UNLV. Mo Gibson, not for sure yet where he's going to end up. But but these are two guys that as you're you're in the Big 12 tournament you 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 lose that heartbreaker to Baylor you go into the NIT and and you 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 think man this is just good to build for next year you you get bounced by St. Bonaventure but you're thinking we're going to have Elijah Harkless back from injury next season potentially you're going to have Mo Gibson back next season if he doesn't test the waters of the NBA and and you you put those guys with the Groves brothers and you've got a solid nucleus to to really be what Caleb was asking, predicting with his true or false question, a top three team in the Big 12. And now you don't have that. And it's it's really quite the shock, I think. If you're looking at shock value, the idea that we had two months ago, just two months ago, that Elijah Harkless was going to come back and prove himself and be a part of this team. In fact, I even think he said as much on Twitter. And then Mo Gibson, his decision was, do I come back to Oklahoma or do I test the waters of the NBA? And guess what he did? He jumped in the transfer portal. What this means is not all of the Kruger holdovers are buying into Porter Mosier. Like, like they gave it a shot. They, they gave it this season. That they initially bought what he sold them when he arrived on campus. They they didn't follow Brady Manning. They didn't follow Divian Harmon. They stayed and they played and they gave it as good as they could give this last season. But there's something about Porter Mosier's style as contrasted to Long Kruger, be it the way um, he addresses his players or the way he uses them on the floor. There, there's something to that that these guys aren't gelling with. Again, Asan, Rick Asanza, he's a big man, project guy, that's going to be the backup to Tanner Gross. At best, he's number two. He's more likely number three off the bench when, in terms of big man. Mayween is, is, a, is a power forward who's a project guy. Those guys don't really bother you to see them in the, in the, in the uh, portal, and they really don't surprise you. But Austin Mason, the guy that, that Porter Mosier signed 
The first guy he signed, Elijah Harkless, who thought he was coming back, who tweeted as much. Mo Gibson, who was your go-to guy at the end of the season. Those are some shocking names in the transfer portal. So it means that not everyone that was here for Long Kruger is on board with Porter Mosier. But it also means that Porter Mosier is going to have to hit up for the second summer in a row. He's going to have to hit this portal and hit it hard. And you got a four-star shooting guard. You got a three a three-star power forward. That's a start. But you got to get a lot more than that. You got to go deeper than that. And so what these guys are asking has merit. I mean, again, I, I would be shocked if this team goes, if this program goes on a three-year drought. Because they're they're trying to make a case for a new arena, right? I mean, they're they're trying to make a case for who's the most hyped coach on this campus. Is it is it Porter Mosier? Is it Brent Venables? And I just don't see any way at all Porter Mosier survives a three year hiatus in his first three years. So I, I I'm going to say that's false. And again, I just don't see with with the guys that you lost and the guys that you need to put on this team. I, I don't see that being a top three team in the Big 12 next season either. So I feel like I can adequately and safely say false to this on both counts. We're going to stick with Ryan on Twitter. Ryan says, true or false, Theo Weiss will catch more than eight touchdowns this year. It's an interesting question and an interesting number because for his career, Theo Weiss had six touchdowns. So when we're talking about him having like a career season, like we literally mean year four. Now, he only played in one game uh, in 2021. Um, but um, you're talking about 2022 being a year in which he eclipses his total career touchdowns. Uh, he caught eight catches uh, in 2019, 37 catches in 2020. I do think there's... I'm going to say if we're going um, over under, th that means that point line is right at eight. I think you're right there. I, I think it could teeter either way. So I, I think nine, man, nine seems like a, a lot. But when you, you think about, you got to think about two things. You got to think about chemistry. Who is Dylan Gabriel really gelling with? And one of those guys is, in fact, Theo Weiss. And then you got to think about usage. And when you see guys like Jaden Hazelwood jump in the portal, you obviously, um, you know, um, I, I think I'm suddenly Mar Mario. I couldn't think of the word Mario. Uh, Mario Williams following Caleb Williams out to USC. You know, you, you slim down that receiving room a little bit before you added some guys out of the portal. Um, and, so I think there's going to be two. I think there's going to be more opportunity. I was going to say two things, but I feel like I say two things for everything. I think there's going to be more opportunity for Theo Weiss, obviously in 2022 than it was in 2021, because you know, knock on wood, he's going to go in the season healthy. But I, I think not only do you have that available to you, but he's the guy who's going to stretch the field. You know, when you look at this receiving core for for Oklahoma Marvin Mims I mean he can be a downfield threat just just because of his discipline his route running 
I mean, the guy's just the guy's just good at, at what he does. So he's clearly a downfield threat, but he's he's not like the speed downhill threat. Theo Wee's at 6'2", 201. He's got a good body, a good frame, and he's got the speed to stretch the field. And when you when you look at this this group of receivers, not counting the guy that's coming in from Missouri, Jaden Gibson, I mean, that kid looked really good in the spring game. And when you talk about good frames, he's the tallest of Oklahoma's receiving core at 6'5". But he is a true freshman. Jalil Farouk, He's right there around the same size as as Theo Weiss, but he doesn't have that experience. I think Jalil Farouk's going to have a heck of a season. He's clearly going to have his best season as a Sooner in 2022. Drake Stoops is your possession guy. So who's going to be the guy? Who's going to be the guy to stretch the field? It's going to be Marvin Mims, and it's going to be Theo Weiss. And Mims, 5'11", 179, is not as prime of a candidate as Theo Weiss, 6'2", 201. So when you're saying the over-under is at 8, if, if I was laying money here, understanding how much Dylan Gabriel is going to sling the ball and how his mobility is going to cause safeties to cheat, cornerbacks to look over their shoulder, and then you got a guy who did like he did in the spring game, just gets open down the sideline or down the seam or across the field on a, on a post. Yeah, I'll take that over. I'll say that's true. We'll, we'll run with that uh, and say that that's, uh, that's true. We're going to stick one more with uh, Ryan. Ryan says, uh, true or false, uh, TD Roof will start at linebacker the first game of the year. And look, well, I appreciate all the football talk that we're going to need to get through the summer. I don't think I can get on board with this as as uh, as being true. And so I'm, I'm going to say false. And uh, right up front, I'm going to say I'm calling false here. But I am going to say that TD Roof looked way more impressive to me in the spring game than I thought he was. And, and I said this after the spring game. I thought this was a kid who was just following his dad to Norman, right? I mean, his dad comes to Norman, so he's going to follow his dad. But he looked the part. And so if you would have said, Ryan, if you would have said, true or false, T.D. Roof will get significant playing time in 2022, I would have jumped on board and said, true, all across the board. But the reason I can't get on board with him starting right now is because that means Deshaun White would not start. Because T.D. Riff looks like he's going to be at the mic position where Deshaun White is almost, you can you don't even need to use a pencil. You can pretty much use a pen and write it in. Deshaun White will be the starter there. I, th- I think your linebackers for Oklahoma, I really, I, and I said this, this is nothing new. I think your three starting linebackers are going to be Deshaun White, Mike, David Aguebu Strong, and Danny Stutzman at, at the weak side, Will linebacker position. And so if he were to start, I don't think it'll be game one unless Deshaun White's injured, in which we're going to make you some sort of Nostradamus uh, prognosticator here. But yeah, definitely, I, I think I think this is false because, like I said, I just can't get on board with Deshaun White, a guy who's been, and I understand it's a new system, a new philosophy, and all that stuff. I get that. 
But I think there's value in a guy like Deshaun White who's been on campus, who's going to be a super senior. Um, and I understand T.D. Roof is a super senior as well. But again, the guy's been here. And he, he's proven that he can be an impact guy. And, and the way they're going to change things up with linebackers, remember, it's Brent Venables who's going to coach these linebackers, not, not Ted Roof, not T.D.'s dad. So ultimately, that's going to be Brent's call. It's going to be the head coach's call. And I say he goes with Deshaun White. All right, we're gonna stick with uh, we're gonna stick with football here and uh, sticking on the defensive side of the ball. Coming from Caleb, true or false? We will see a big difference in how defense plays, and uh, and I think that's true. I, I think that's that's pretty much a layup here um, in terms of answering the question because n- number one, it's going to be a different schematic. Number two, it's going to be a different uh, focus, a different uh, intensity, if you will. Um, I think the tenacity, you know, you take on the mentality of your coach. And and one thing we've learned about Brent Venables, who's going to be coaching up these linebackers, uh, is that this guy is not timid, okay? And and I don't I, I'm not as big into taking shots uh just to, just for the sake of taking shots at the previous coaching staff. I think there will be ample opportunity um to take shots and response to things that are deserved and merited. Uh but I will say this. I, I don't think um I don't think you can describe the previous coaching staff using the word tenacious, but I do think you can use that for this coaching staff. And I think the mentality, the attitude, it all makes, um, it's going to make a difference in what you see on the field. And you already saw in the spring game, you saw gang tackling, you saw form tackling, you saw players wrapping up and not just trying to deliver that big hit. Um, and I think what I don't disagree with the premise or the idea, the focus of getting turnovers, I, I do think maybe if you're a defensive player, stopping the ball should be a bigger priority than turning it over. Because when you go for an interception and you miss, a big play happens for the offense. When you go for a strip instead of a tackle, a big play happens for the offense. And what do we see with the turnovers in the spring game is you saw that as a result of gang tackling. You saw that as a result of sound fundamental defense guys being in the spot. And when they're here, when you look at plays last year, think about Isaiah Thomas and missing quarterbacks. Think about Perry and Winfrey. Think about you know, somebody in the, in the line, think about Nick Bonito. Think about somebody that's secondary. Think about Pat Fields, DTL guys being in position to make a play, but they don't make the play. Why? Because they have to think about what am I supposed to do here? Isaiah Thomas breaks free and can he just take the quarterback down or is he going to get reamed out in the film session for not trying to make it a strip sack? And now this coaching staff is just like, you know what? We'll take a sack for a 12-yard loss as opposed to you busting free and missing the sack because you were trying to find the right angle to make it a strip sack. We'll take a a run for a two-yard gain and have the running back slam down hard than a a running back being met two yards in the hole and then going four more yards because you're trying to pry the ball out of his hand. So I do think you're going to see a significant difference in a difference in the philosophy of this defense, how they approach just what they're supposed to do on any given play. Because I, I, I'm pretty confident 
that this coaching staff is going to say, stop the ball. Just stop the ball. Make the tackle. And then maybe the next down, if the opportunity for a fumble or the opportunity for an interception arises, take advantage of it. But for this down, you win it by stopping the ball. And and I think we've already seen that, a sample of that in the spring game. And I think we're going to see more of that. But also, something else that you can't overlook here when you're talking about how the defense plays this fall, potentially, as opposed to what we saw. When, when you look at comments from guys like Delarian Turner-Yell, guys like Perrion Winfrey, who were clearly not happy with how they were used within the schematic of the defense, that that has a, a significant effect on the way that they play that the down, the way they play the ball, the way they do their assignment. I'll do my assignment, and I'm not happy about it. That mentality is, is vastly different from... I love my assignment and I'm going to go wreck somebody. And I think those are the two different mindsets that we're looking at coming into this fall for Oklahoma's defense. And it has to produce just a a, a difference in the way they play. Statistically, are they going to be better? I don't know. I think so. I want to say they will, but can I, can I bank on them being statistically better? I, I don't, I don't know that I can. But I can I can say they'll play differently. They'll they'll have a different focus to themselves, uh, a different approach. And and like I said, I keep using that word tenacity. And, and I think that's something that really comes in uh, huge for this team next fall. It's it's pretty crazy how you guys all think somewhat alike uh, with the the questions and statements that you provided. But you're just a little bit off. Just just a little bit different in in your approach to these questions or these statements and. Uh, but it helps me to pair them uh, together uh, for conversation purposes. And, and here's a great example of what I'm talking about. Kevin says, uh, true or false, Oklahoma going to the transfer portal for quarterbacks is more of a necessity as, as opposed to a luxury. And this is absolutely true. And if you've listened to the Sooner Nation podcast and you've listened to what I said about the quarterback situation – then you you 100% know my opinion on the matter. And that is, you know, you're set at QB1. This is Dylan Gabriel's team. And barring some sort of unforeseen circumstance where Dylan Gabriel's not available, it's his team. There's nobody else there. But the backup quarterback position after the spring game, that backup spot, that QB number two spot, it's wide open. And none of the candidates in the spring seem to be up to par for the job. And and I, I just posed the question, who are you comfortable with? As an Oklahoma fan, who are you comfortable with taking over the reins of Jeff Levy's offense in the absence of Dylan Gabriel? And there's not a single guy that played in the spring game that I would say, I feel we can win the game with this guy. But now you've gone in, you've got a JUCO guy, you've got a um you've got a transfer in from from Pitt. And so you've got that that the QB two position battle just grew five deep. And there's a lot of people that are that are ready right now to make the pit kid, the backup quarterback because Jeff Levy recruited him. But I don't know. I mean, they're, they're going out. You got the Juco guy coming in now. And then you got three guys who are going to have, who have been in this program, who are on campus, who are working out, who are going to go through the summer and get stronger. To me, I'm more fascinated now about this position than I was in the spring. It's, it's the same approach that I had to the um, 
to the running back position. Now, if you remember uh, when we broke down the spring game and I said, you know, I'm, I'm suddenly very interested in the running back position because I thought it was basically a two-man deal. You know, I thought you had Marcus Major, uh, you know, and, 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 and Eric Gray as your running backs. And then it was just kind of whoever after that. But suddenly you've got some guys there that are going to push, really make a strong push to be a third guy that gets on the field. So you left spring, and suddenly I'm really interested in running back positions. Now, post-spring, going into the summer, I'm interested in this quarterback battle for the second-string quarterback. Because you got five candidates, which means just logic tells you six quarterbacks aren't going to survive on a roster. So if you got three guys that were battling, really fourth, if you want to say it, if you, if you got four guys that were battling in the spring for the backup spot, and now you're adding two more to it. That's six guys battling for the backup spot. One guy solidified as QB1. That means you really don't have an answer. So yeah, I, I agree 100% with you. This, this is a necessity. It's not a luxury. It's a necessity that they find a solid backup quarterback. And sticking with the theme of quarterbacks, true or false, Dylan Gabriel will be a Heisman Trophy contender. Um, and and again, to, in my mind, there's there's two different types of Heisman Trophy contenders. There's those Heisman Trophy contenders that just get their name mentioned, like in August, September, maybe into October. And then there's those Heisman Trophy contenders that go into late November or the first week of December for conference championships, and then they get that invite to New York City. I don't know at this point that I can say Dylan Gabriel is going to be a guy who gets an invitation to New York City. I, just, I, don't, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know if I, I can. We saw him at Central Florida, but remember, he's been injured. It's been a long time since Dylan Gabriel played significant football. I'm, I'm excited about what he's going to do at OU. But raise your hand if you know what the OU offense is going to look like. I'm pretty confident Jeff Lebby's not going to abandon the running game. But I'm also pretty confident that this is going to be a big play, fast-paced offense that Dylan Gabriel is going to get a lot of opportunities to sling the ball around. But if you made me pick right now, if you made me pick right now, the answer to this is false. False in as much as I don't know that he goes into late November as a Heisman contender. I think his name obviously gets mentioned, uh, thrown around, in in the same way that Matt Corral did in in you know last year in Ole Miss. I, I just don't I don't think he's a finalist though. So based on your definition, and it may be different than mine, but based on your definition of a Heisman contender, I'm going to say false because my definition is a guy who makes it all the way to New York City. And I just I don't know at this point I can jump on board and say that that is going to be Dylan Gabriel. That's that's where I am, and you're free to disagree with me. That's where we want to hear from you on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, on Twitter, on the on the internet, heartland-sports.com, or you can shoot us an email, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. All right, just a few more before we jump out of here. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and, and I hope we keep this type of um, uh, this type of 
ebb and flow, if you will, of podcasting, because I, I love having you guys participate. Um, one more regarding football, two more regarding softball. Well, really, two we're going to make into one. Uh, but here we go. Uh, true or false, Barry Switzer's NIL Collective will help bring more uh, bring in more portal recruits rather than recruits out of high school. Um, and I, I think it's true. And and I, I think you know we we have full blown gone into the era of college football free agency. And I don't I don't know you can't put to use an old saying you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube after it's been squeezed out. You can't put the cans back in the worm. And that's where we are. And I I don't know how you fix it. I don't know if it can be fixed. I don't even know if you want to fix it. But I mean we are where we are, and money is on the table and. Uh, what's good about it is that money is no longer going under the table. It's going above the table. And you now you go to a college football team and you're going to make $50,000 if they've, if they've got their ducks in the row. Um, and they're doing things like what OU's doing, what Alabama's doing, what Clemson is doing, what Texas is doing. You, you, these guys are going to make fifty dollars to $100,000 a, a season or a school year playing for this team. And so it's no longer about where can I go and contend for a national championship, a Heisman Trophy, uh, a top top selection? It's where can I go make money? And then while I'm there, if I get to contend for a national championship, a Heisman Trophy, or a top draft selection, that's great. But how much money can I make in three to four years of college is where this is. And, and Caleb Williams, I hate to rip that Band-Aid off again, but Caleb Williams is a, is a great example of this, where his people, his dad, the people around him are saying, we want Caleb to be in a place where he has the best shot of being the top pick in the NFL draft. And then they go to USC, which is not that place. I know Lincoln Riley is that quarterback whisperer type coach. And I know he has a good relationship with Lincoln Riley going all the way back to his high school days. But when you look at the pieces that are in place at USC, as opposed to the pieces that are in place at other institutions that, that courted him during that time, Caleb Williams, when he followed the money, he didn't follow the, the NFL draft. He followed the money and he hopes that in that time, he can compete for a conference championship. He can compete for a national championship. He can compete to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. But he's going to make money. And that's that's why Barry Switzer got behind this collective to do things like that. So you're going to have guys who get a minimum. And then you have guys in the portal that this collective is going to say, hey, look, you know, we give the players $50,000. But if you come, we'll add a bonus to that. You know, we, we can give you money to get your family here. We can, I mean, all the things that you used to not be able to do under the table, I mean, you can do it above board now. Just write a check. And yeah, that's going to help get a lot of guys. It, it'll, it'll attract guys out of high school. Can you imagine? I mean, think about it. Can you? None of us had the chance to step out of high school into a fifty thousand dollar a year job. None of us did. But now, that's what these kids have the opportunity to do. So that's that's a game changer. But if you're in the portal. Now you get those bonuses to come out of the portal in Norman, Oklahoma. And that's that's where this is going to help out. And it's going to help out immensely because it's free agency. You need a running back? Oh, well, there's one right there. You need a quarterback? Oh, we got two in there. 
I just, uh, that's the way it works. <laughs> and if you're, if you're a longtime OU fan, you love the fact that Barry Switzer is in charge of this because Barry Switzer's never been a guy shy about giving things to athletes with the idea that they deserve it. I'm not just giving them something to give it to them. They deserve this. And so it's fantastic. Fantastic for Oklahoma fans to see Bear Switzer uh, coordinating and putting that all together. All right, two more things. Uh, we got to get we started with softball. We'll go out with softball. Uh, I got two more questions. True or false, Patty Gasso will get a statue. True or false, Patty Gasso will have something named after her. I'm going to put these two things together and say true. I do think at some point, probably not while she's coaching, but at some point there will be a statue of Patty Gasso outside of the new softball stadium because it will be the house that Patty built. And, and again, I, I said at the beginning of the podcast that there's a lot of people who are just now catching on with college softball. And, and again, welcome aboard. I love it. I love the fact that you're here. I love the fact that you're on this train with us. But don't overlook the fact. Don't ignore the fact. Don't uh, be aware of the fact that when Patty Gasso took over this program, they were playing games at Reeves Park. That, that's the softball public park across the street from the current softball stadium. That's where they were playing. So this new stadium will be the second stadium that Patty Gasso built since coming to take the helm of this program. So it's not just national champions. It's not just all Americans. It's not just the way she's mentored and shaped young women to send them into the world as leaders. And, uh, you know, just, I mean, she has put some quality people out into the world after being under her tutelage and mentorship for four or five years. It's not just all that she's invested in that. It's, it's what she has done for this program. She took them from playing on a public softball field where church leads play on Thursday nights to having a second stadium built. So yeah, there's no way that there is not a statue in the future for Patty Gasso. Zero chance that does not happen. And I guess technically that means that something will be named after her if she's going to have a, that'd be the Patty Gasso statue, right? So we'll just say both of those uh, are true. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us, uh, this uh, this edition of the Sooner Nation podcast. Again, thanks so much for, for tuning in and for catching us. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe. Give us a, a rating. Uh, oh, I mean, if you're going to give us a five-star, we'll even take a four-star. But uh, if you're going to give us a one-star, just just skip that part of the process. But again, thanks so much. Uh, send your, your true or false questions, statements uh, for the next episode, and have a fantastic week wherever it leads you. Boomer Sooner, everybody. Oh,